So a couple of weeks ago, we started the series uh, Called and Committed. And my passion in these weeks is to move you and I away from some dull church-going, religious, uh, operational kind of mode and to get you into an intimate, dynamic, adventurous relationship with Jesus Christ as a disciple. A disciple is one who is a follower, yes, but it's one who upholds and lives out all that that master would call us to do. And so the question is, are you just sort of a common, ordinary kind of run-of-the-mill, church-going, quote-unquote, Christian Or are you a disciple of Jesus Christ, uniquely disguised as a teacher, an engineer, a social worker, a salesman, a business person? Because our identity is not attached to what we do, but who we are. And God says that we are made in his image. We are fallen sinful people, Scripture says, but Jesus Christ came to redeem us, to change us, to give us a new heart and a new life, and to call us into being followers of Him. And a follower of Jesus Christ is not a 50-50 kind of deal. If you're into a 50-50 kind of deal with the Christian thing, you're in for a miserable life. I'm just telling you that. It's more miserable than if you were just an atheist. Because you cannot... Continue to serve to masters. You are called, but you are to be committed to the one who has redeemed you and changed you. You are to be his disciple. Now, some of us were fortunate in our growing up years to have somebody get in our face and challenge us to be called and committed to Jesus. Others of us never had that opportunity. Some of you may say, I'm glad I didn't have somebody in my face saying that. But I was one of those fortunate to have some people around me who said, if you're going to go with the Jesus thing, go all in or don't go at all. And I'm so thankful that I've been all in. Now, that doesn't mean that every week, every day that I'm all in or I don't, you know, everything's running smooth. No, it's a challenging life, but it's challenging in both bad ways, but also good ways. Jesus wants you to be fully alive in him and to his mission And that's why we're called the Awakening Church, because we want you to become awake, to being a disciple. Are you on the journey? Have you done what we um, have symbolized with the backpack? Have you strapped on the backpack to say, I'm on, and I'm going to take the journey? Some of you have been contemplating that. You're contemplating something more than maybe just showing up on Sunday. That's good. That's good. Because the adventure is 24-7, 365 for as many years as God gives you until he would come again or until we get to be with him. But when you go on a journey, you need to chart a course. And so we have uh, been charting a course of what does it really mean to be this disciple, to be on the pathway. And to be on the pathway means you need to come to reckon with some truth. And that doesn't mean just in the head, but in the heart and the experience. We said this last week. We summed it up this way, and this is the key. As we're at the trailhead and we're uh, getting ready to head out. The Christian life is not based on a decision you made, but on an invitation Jesus gave. 
Do you get the significance of that? Because if you feel that your whole Christian life is based off of that decision I made at once, rather than understanding that you were called by Jesus and you were called to Jesus, then you will waver depending on how you emotionally feel with that decision. John fifteen sixteen. you did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that's part of where we've been in the first couple of weeks. Last week, we added one to that. We add to the aspect that not only you're called by Jesus, not only are you called by Jesus as chosen and redeemed, he's changed your life, but you're also called to him. As far as your identity of who you are, your disciple of Jesus Christ, him personally, not just his teachings, and you're called to have intimacy with him. But as we added last week, you are called to obey. And we looked at a couple pretty tough passages in that regard, but called to obey um, has to do with you were called to understanding what ultimate truth is and that you are to worship the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that obedience can lead ultimately to a radical dying to self. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I don't know. Can you think about this? People were just sort of checking Jesus out, right? And he starts spouting this kind of stuff. What would you do? What would you do? You see, if you are hungry for significance as it relates to worldly success, if you're longing to have financial gain, popularity, if you're all in for finding pleasure in life, then you're turning the other way and walking. But if you are hungry in your soul for ultimate significance, for meaning and purpose, and for understanding why you're here, what your origin is, what your destiny is, if you're hungering for the one who is the God of the universe, then you're going to listen to Jesus. So it matters, what do you want? And we looked at last week that many of them, upon hearing this kind of hard teaching of Jesus, that they turned and they no longer walked with him anymore, it says in John 6. 66. And for those people, I often wonder, I wonder if they had any regrets ever, even when they passed from this life into the next. Jesus said that he was the one who came to give life and to give it abundantly. But it's sort of a strange oxymoron kind of thing that to have life, I have to lose my life. You see, we spend so much time in the latter part of that verse that we are trying to save our life, but in the end we end up losing it. But Jesus says, but if you lose your life for me and for my sake, you will find it. There has to be a death and a dying, and that's the ultimate understanding of obedience. I will obey Jesus as a disciple of him, uniquely disguised as fill in the blank. I will choose to even die for it. It was interesting. I talked to somebody afterwards on the way out, and they made mention of this. I forget who it was. But when they said it, I immediately recalled a moment in my life when I discovered the same thing. And the individual said to me, said, you know, it's not so much am I willing to die for Jesus, but for me, am I willing to live for him? Because it's more 
difficult really to be someone who lives a sacrificial life for Jesus than it is maybe to be a martyr. And I remember when I was a young person thinking of that. I was actually working in an urban ministry and outside of New York City in Newark, New Jersey. And I remember driving back and I said, Lord, this is tough stuff, this urban work. And Jesus brought to my heart and says, well, did you say you were willing to give your life away to find it for me? That you were, I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. He says, well, maybe it's harder for you to walk down the streets of uh, an urban ministry like Newark, New Jersey, than it is for you to put your life physically on the line. Called to obey. You see, if you're wishy-washy, then I don't think you'll ever quite fully understand what it means to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. We have to obey to the nth degree. Last week, I added one. I added this thing out of Matthew 16:24 and 26 and John 6. I put it this way because in John 1, we discovered that when Jesus was walking and John the Baptist said, Behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes us away the sin of the world. They were looking for the Messiah. And so uh, Andrew and his brother Peter, they started following Jesus. And then we hear about Philip and then we hear about Nathaniel. And all these people start following Jesus. And what Jesus said to them at that time, he said, Come and see. Then there's the other place in Matthew 4 where he told them to come off the fishing boats because they'd sort of known who he was. They'd connected with him. They'd checked him out a little bit. But he said, follow me. And then later on in Luke 5, 1 through 11, he says, you know, from now on, not only will you follow me, but you from now on you will be fishers of men. It was sort of like more of a calling into full-time engagement to be his disciples. But then in the passages we just referenced, he says, come and die. And we talked about the need for us to be able to see, to go from the come and see to the come and die. For us as a church body to be able to, you know, sort of be out there engaging. And maybe you're here this morning needing to check Jesus out. And it's a come and see, come and see. But I'm telling you where he's going to take you, not to scare you away, but to give you ultimate hope. And as if you want to come to check out Jesus, he's going to tell you, come and die. For he who wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me my sake will find it. So from the come and see to the come and die, we have been given an invitation. And that invitation was the initiative of Jesus in your life. So we're on this pathway. We're on this pathway. We're buckled in. We're strapped in. But I want to take us to the verse right after. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What's the very next thing Jesus says in this John 15 passage? He says, and so whatever you ask in my father's name, in the name the father will give you. And then he says this in verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. Up front. Up front. He's acknowledging you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Now that you're following me, called by Jesus, called to Jesus, I want you to obey, and here's the very first commandment, if you will, the ultimate commandment that I want you to do, and that is I want you to love one another. Love one another. The one another's in Scripture, do you know how many times they're referenced? Over 50 times there's love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, all right? 
the one another's are all over the place. Because Jesus did not call you and I to a one-on-one discipleship. He's intimate with us. He speaks to us. He encourages us. But he did not pick just Andrew and said, that's good. I got Andrew. I got one person following me. We're all good. See you all later. He picked out a team of people because he created people plural, to be in relationship with one another. And so, our next aspect of truth in the called and committed world is to understand that we are called to community. We are called to community. I put it this way. Disciples of Jesus are called as a community to live in community for creating community. Disciples of Jesus are called as a community. He called them together as a team. And when he called them together as a team, they began to hang together as a team. Call them a platoon or whatever you want to call it. They were together as a group, a body of people. And they were to live that way, to love one another, to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens. They were called as a community to live in community. And then they were called in that to create community for others. Isolation is the number one attack of the enemy. Isolation. And you can see him pushing it upon people. And you can be isolated in a crowd. You could be seated here this morning and you've chosen, hey, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be around some people, turn and greet, all that was really nice. But in your soul of souls, you could be a very, very lonely, isolated person this morning. And I want to give you some hope. You were not wired that way from the beginning. You have been wired and created to be in community, to be in rich community. We have all kinds of of, uh, social media and other means of connecting with people. But I'm not talking about connecting. I'm talking about rich community where you know others and others know you. And if that's not happening in your life, then you will not be a fulfilled person. There will be longings. You may think it's just finding the right partner, the right spouse in life. Well, you can be very lonely in marriages, too. Some people are. The community that Jesus called his disciples into, the community he called them to live out, the community he called them to create in the world was one of transcendent richness. That's why all those one another's are there. The forefront. Why he said his very first command, if you will, in the, on the other heels of, hey, you need to know this. I chose you. Now you need to go and you need to love one another. He called you to community. Do a little um, observation here. You're an observant person. This section right here. You ready? Don't be put on the spot. I want you to stand. All of you. Just this section right here. All right. Now you're going like, what am I going to have to do? I want you to look at the other two sections and just observe. What do you observe about these people? Yeah, don't have to say anything out. Don't say anything out loud. It might even be embarrassing to them. You might say, I can't believe those 
those clothes clash today or, you know, maybe they were in a hurry or something. I just observe. What do you observe about the people in the southern? Okay, you got that? You may be seated. I want this section to stand. Yeah, you can put stuff down. Zach's like, oh, Packers, yeah, it's opening day. You bet. Who, I, I want you to do observations. Observe. What are you observing? Got it? What just comes to your observation as you look across the rest of this room? All right, you may be seated. Now, you people in the middle, you lucked out. Because <laughs> you'd have to turn around. Now, you may observe a lot of different things. Small things, big things. Maybe you're just anxious to sit back down. If you were observant, the big observation in this room is you are all sitting in rows. <laughs> Did you overlook that one? You're all sitting in rows. Rows are sort of safe, aren't they? He's staring into the back of the head of the person. Preacher guy's up there trying to do something. He's on the clock. You're safe in a row. I won't do it, but if I had you all get up and had you pool in these little circles and groups and look in each other's eyes and not say anything, is that safer or more threatening to you? It's more threatening. Because you've got to look into someone's eyes and you're saying to yourself, what are they thinking about me? And you're thinking about them. You see, rows are safe. Circles are not safe. But I'll tell you this. Rows are not community. Circles are community. And circles enable you to get to know one another more. Now, that may be hard because I don't want to be known. I want to be hidden. And that's what we're addressing this morning. Because, see, when you're called by Jesus, he's calling you into community. He's not calling you to be the lone ranger, isolated. I'm for Jesus. I'm sitting, you know, I'm not going to pick on people in the back because sometimes I sit in the back. But back, front, whatever it may be, right? He called them into community. In fact, some of the grandest images I have of Jesus is just him sitting out in nature, right? Because he walked on the path. They didn't have cars, right? They weren't driving around in chariots, man. That was for the rich, kingly people. Jesus would walk on a path with his disciples. They would take breaks. They would sit down. The woman, the Samaritan uh, woman, right? You know, they got, hey, here's a well. We're just getting some water. We're going to go in town, find some McDonald's, bring it back. They'd sit down underneath a tree, and they would just share together, right? They would have genuine community. Talking face to face one another. Jesus did not start a church to have rows. Now, he preached to people on a hillside. That's true, but can you imagine on the hillside? Do you think they all lined up in rows? I think sort of grouped off maybe as family units, friends. Sort of like when you go to the park, you know, when I go watch the fireworks at Reagan Park. You know, people are sort of grouped up a little bit, even though we're all waiting for seeing the fireworks up in the sky. For some reason... Through the years, throughout history, we've moved people out of circles and we've put them in the rows. And what we've done is we've stolen community from people 
thinking that the more information you get, the more you're going to grow spiritually. When I went to graduate school, I went to seminary. I'm, I'm ready, right? I'm going to sit in rows, hear the lectures. But then there started to be a buzz about some guys that were grouping up with one of the main professors who was really a great guy. He was a rich guy, knew Jesus well, those kinds of things, really wanted to impact God for the kingdom. And I heard that he had a group, but the group was full. I was like, oh, I think maybe I'd like to be in that group. And then he shared that he was going to start another group. What did I do? I said, hey, pick me. And I got in his group. And I remember the, one of the first things he said in his group is that he had made a commitment. He'd been in ministry of a while. He pastored large churches. He says, I had made a commitment that I will always be in a group, that I will either I will be in a group as a participant and I will be leading a group my whole life. I didn't know about that. I just sort of wanted to get to know the guy a little bit. We sat around, and every week, week in and week out, we would come and would meet. And guess what the first question is that he would ask? We'd be sitting in circles. We'd be gazing at each other's eyes, and what's going to happen today? And he would ask us the question, and we would go around. How are things with your soul? See, John Wesley is a great leader of the church that was what he would do wesley circles how are things with your soul what do you mean like how are things with my day i had a good day i'm fine no i want to know how are things with your soul oh i don't even know if i've talked to my soul recently See, it's threatening. It's threatening to sit into circles, especially if those circles are going to be circles where they ask those kind of questions. But you were wired for community. And if you're a Jesus follower, you are not a Jesus follower as a, as a solo hermit kind of individual. You were called into community, and the, and the adversary is wanting to isolate you. He can isolate you even with your own pocket of family people. Our life is busy, man. i got work. i got kids. i got school. And you're just revolving in that little individualistic world. But God has richness for you in community. He has called you to community. I was recently, uh, uh, I watched a little video clip of uh, Francis Chan. We've done Francis Chan here sometime. Francis Chan used to pastor a church of 5,000 people uh, up in uh, North uh, Los Angeles area. And um, he wrote a book called Crazy Love. And that crazy love thing just blew the socks off. And that's why the church just started growing gangs, Buckster, because people just want to come hear Francis Chan. And Francis Chan is a great communicator. But in this video clip, he was actually uh, at the Facebook headquarters, and he was having a discussion and interaction with some of the employees there in an open environment. And one of the things he began to talk about was what he ended up doing. He ended up leaving that church of 5,000 because he sort of got tired of the rows. He didn't put it that way. And he wanted people to be more in circles. He got tired of everybody sort of showing up to see him use his gift, but yet everybody was sitting in their rows and they weren't using their gift. And so he just walked away from that church. He went and spent some time away from ministry itself. And now he's up in San Francisco area. And he's sort of relaunching a vision for churches that are more in circles and house churches, that kind of thing. Now, house churches, you know, they have their good and their bad. 
There's nothing wrong gathering in rows. There's nothing wrong having great worship and, and, and looking at God's word like we're doing uh, here as we walk through this morning. There's nothing wrong with the large group gathering. There were large group gatherings. It says in the, in the scriptures that they gathered in the temples, but it also said they gathered house to house. So it's sort of like a two-winged bird. You need to have the large group gathering and you have a, a smaller group gathering. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But he, as a, a minister and a pastor, just sort of gotten weary of all the overhead and the apparatus. And one of the things he said that, that kicked him that direction, he gave different examples. And one of them was the example of a young adult that he had opportunity to baptize who had been a part of a gang. And this individual came to know Jesus and he got baptized. I mean, he got involved in the church and he got, uh, he got baptized. And then after a while, he just sort of disappeared from the church. And uh, a friend came along and, and asked him, he said, well, what, what happened? Why, why aren't you part of the church? And he says, oh, he says, I, you know, he says, when I got baptized, he thought like, I thought like that was sort of like this initiation of being jumped in with the gang. You know, where you're like 24-7, your family. I didn't know that being a Christian was just about attending church on Sunday. I'm out of here. And Francis Chan said, that just struck him. How is it that a gang is better reflecting community of Scripture, in one sense, than what the church is? You see, we're not a large church. That's okay. We could be a large church. That would be okay too. It's not about the size or attendance on a Sunday morning. But I tell you what is important about this place is that we love one another. And you cannot love one another unless you are in community one with another. There's a pastor that was all pumped up to speak on community, and he stood up in front of the people. But on his way up, God said, just drop the whole talk you came up with. He said, really? He stood up in front of them. And the only thing he felt led to say was love one another. And he went and sat down. Now, I left here earlier today, uh, right before service, because I forgot my little remote thing. And Mike Partell thought he was going to have to stand up here and preach. (laughs) He sat down, the pastor did, and they're all sitting there like you're sitting here. What are you doing? He got back up. Love one another. Sit back down. They're all starting to get a little bit more anxious. What's going on? Is this all this? He finally stood up a third time and he said the same thing Love one another. About that time, somebody stood up. He says, I know what he means. In fact, they all started to stand up. And he says, I'm supposed to really care for so-and-so over here on this side of the room. 
And another person, another person just began to interact and to mingle. And it's sort of like our turn and greet time. I know it's different than, you know, if you're new, you're sort of like, oh, great, I have to do the turn and greet thing. But you stand up, you turn around, shake your hand, sit back down, and then, like, they keep going here. But one of the reasons we keep going is like, hey, we just have some community in the middle of our service. But that happened. And that was his message that day. Because sometimes I feel the same way. Do we really need to preach on this anymore? Love one another. This is my commandment. This, I give you this new commandment to love one another. You and I, we are called to community. And that community is to be a community of love and encouragement. It's desperately needed in our world. You know, I don't know what can be the God thing behind these hurricanes that are coming. But it's definitely taken the bickering off the news for a while. Now, you may be tired of seeing people in wind and rainstorms trying to report on somewhere they shouldn't be. But the aftermath of Harvey in Texas, and I'm sure the same will happen, uh, Lord willing, in Florida, an aftermath of a storm's damage and how people come together and to help one another out. doesn't matter, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, blue color, white color. You just jump in and you love one another and try to help. I think God smiles. He says, there now. Learned your lesson. Love one another. Don't be pitting sides. Don't carry your prejudice or any racism or, or egocentric kind of attitudes into a marketplace. I mean, just just love one another. Church, church, just love one another. Stop worrying about who drove in with what car, who's wearing what, how many people are successful or who's not. Just love one another. And maybe the person seated right beside you that's not like you. Love one another. Kids, students at school, love one another. Yeah, the bully, the one that hasn't said nice things. Love doesn't mean you condone what they're doing, but it does mean you don't get a hateful attitude towards them. And you try to seek ways to be of encouragement. Love one another. Sandy Stanley and his church, North Point, I believe it was them who a number of years ago, they coined the phrase, circles are better than rows. And they're a large church, multi-site, a lot of rows, a lot of people. But if you look underneath the hood, you see the engine that runs such a dynamic ministry in Georgia, in the Atlanta area and beyond, is that people are in community. And hopefully if you were to look at us, raise the hood. We're a church that just doesn't show up in rows on a Sunday morning to be spectators, but that we are involved in each other's lives. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, it says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. That means if you're painting a house like I was painting this week, you need to have your son along because it goes a lot easier if you have two. <laughs> two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. It doesn't matter how you fall. Maybe you fall in relationships. Maybe you fall financially. Maybe there's fallenness with your health. If you fall down, if you're with someone else, they can help you. 
get up. But if you're by yourself, that commercial, right? Tell the lady, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Comes to my mind. If you're by yourself, and I'm not just talking as individuals. Sometimes I need to take the family unit here because the family unit, we can live in isolation pretty easy, is that if there's fallenness that happens and you're not connected, then who's going to help you get up? But then the writer of this wisdom literature says, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity them. I pity the people that merely do rows and don't do circles, don't have engagement. And yeah, you can even sit in circles and not be transparent and vulnerable and grow. How are things with your soul kind of idea? But if you are engaged in biblically functioning community, you will have someone there. But if you're not, then you're pitied, according to Scripture. I pity you. I'm busy. I still pity you. I have more important things. I still pity you, Scripture would say. Here's my question. Who feels free to ask, are you okay, and will not accept, I am fine, for an answer? Who in your life fits that? How are things with your soul? Are you okay? Now, some people would ask me, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. What's the deal with me? I'm like, you're looking a little tired today. Why well, am I tired? Right? Fuck off. But I genuinely appreciate people that aren't asking because of some external appearance, but they really want to, are you okay? How's it going? My son Levi will ask me that sometimes. Hey, Dad, okay? Yeah, I'm okay, Levi. And I choose, special needs and all that he has, sometimes to just say, Levi, this is what's going on in my life. How are you doing? And sometimes he'll open up and just talk a storm. Can't quite understand everything he's saying. (laughs) Who do you have in your life? Verse 12 then says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, that scripture is usually referenced in marriages, husband, wife, and God, three strands. But if God's in the mix, how is God in the mix for you? He's in the mix through his body, his church body. You've chosen to come here today. That's huge. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're in Rose. Because it says I'm going to be engaged with the body of Christ. I'm going to worship. I'm going to learn from his word. Call to community is a call to love one another, a call to be encouragement to one another. I want to take it to another passage in Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, what this passage is going to do, it's going to highlight, and we don't have time, of course. This is not a series in community. But here, as we are talking about being called community, love and encouragement as a step of a disciple, one of the beautiful aspects of what community does is highlighted in this passage. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. How many of you in here know some things you ought to do, but you do not do them? How many of you here have done some things that you know you should be doing and you have drifted away from them recently? 
I can put two hands up. Whether it's, you know, uh, health, what you should be doing exercise-wise, eating-wise, what you should be doing with your budget. We all know sort of, sort of what we should do, what's right to do. And spiritually, if you were told that you could have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and that he can make your life fully alive in him. All right. How many of you say, oh, I don't want that? Well, we don't say that. We want that. We want Jesus. We want to be fully alive. And, 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 and usually uh, we practice things that take us that direction, but then we start to drift. Been there? Time in your life when you're more spiritually intense, things were stronger spiritually, and you drifted from it. Well, Hebrews 3.12 is saying this is true. See to it, brothers, sisters, none of you, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. Now, in this passage, what's it saying? It's saying in a plural sense. We'll take it from a south. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, and you in the Greek there is a plural, you, like you all, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This verse is saying to you and I, you all need to see about each other. You all need to be checking up on one another. Not in a, uh, a scrutinizing, judgmental kind of way, but you all need to be saying, how are you doing? Are you okay? What's going on? You need to have somebody that's speaking into your life and you're speaking in their life and not just a individual or family people. You need to have a community of people. You need to have a little bit of, say, a little bit of an entourage like Jesus had. People that are around you, you're on this journey, backpack and all, to be a disciple because you are called to Jesus, by, by Jesus, to Jesus, to obey, but you are called to love one another. You are called to community. And so this passage says, see to it that you don't drift. And if you drift, maybe it's because you're not in that kind of community. Unbelieving heart. You see, drift happens where first? Here. We begin to think things, say things to ourselves, doubt things. And we're not telling anybody. It's in drive time. It's like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not right for me. Or maybe I should change. She'll never change. I'm going to make a move. And you start speaking to yourself these things because it's the heart that begins, the heart being the mind in, in, in Western culture, that begins to sow these seeds of doubts. Why is it that when you go away to school or maybe you go on a business trip or the pressure comes or or maybe, you know, you're really in a bad season or maybe it's the opposite. You're in a good season. Why is it the drift happens spiritually in those times? Well, many times it's happening because you're not seeing to it with other brothers and sisters and you begin to slightly turn and the thoughts start in to actions. Verse 13. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. That word encourage isn't sort of a slap and high five. Oh, how's it going to be encouraged? I hope you have a good day. See you later. No, it's a pretty strong word in the original text. It means to appeal to, to exhort, to urge strongly, to beg, to implore, to entreat. 
Brothers and sisters, see to it. Check up on one another. See how all one because we drift and we move away from those things that we have good intentions for, especially even spiritually. And we turn away from God. But you need to be together and you need to encourage one another. And you need to do it daily. Well, it may be daily that you're connecting, but it may be it's just a regular routine, a regular diet that you are being encouraged as long as it's called today. And today is referencing that as long as we are in this sinful fallen world and we are sinful people, we are going to drift. We are going to have trials and tribulations. We are going to have challenges. And you are not called to go it alone. You are not called to be a lone ranger. You are called into community. Jesus called people into community. He's called you into community. And you need to be encouraged one another by one another in life because of the day and the hour in which we live. Do this daily. Strong exhortation in those words so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness it's almost like personifying sin you know sin is an activity or something happens yeah but we think of sin as within and sin raises its ugly head and it starts to chatter words in your brain and you start to grab a hold of them and sometimes you need people in your life that you verbalize something to. Hey, I'm thinking about this. And that person's going to look you straight in the eye in a circle, maybe privately, and say, what are you thinking? That's crazy. No, you shouldn't be doing that. That's transparency. When I sat in that group originally, how are things with your soul? I remember we'd come in after dates that weekend or something, right? How are things with your soul? How did things go on that date? Did you keep things above board? Ooh, wow, there's some accountability here. And it's not to scrutinize because I've been under the scrutiny of people too, and I hate that. It's oppressive. It's another attack of the enemy. But I need somebody who genuinely looks and says, hey, what do you think? Check this out. I had a call this week from someone, and they said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I don't think I'm just in the right place. I think I need to go. I'm like, really? And I'm like, okay, these are some of my thoughts. And and I, I, I interacted with them. And later in the week, they said to me, you know, thanks so much for talking with me about that. I think God was saying to me, yes, I needed to be risk taking, but not in the way I was articulating. He wanted me to open up to something else that I need to be doing in my present location. I go, good, good. Do you have people? that are able to look at you and tell you you're crazy. Now, I'm saying this is one aspect of community. You also need those people in your life to say, go for it, make it happen, all right? Encouragement. But as it relates to the drift, drifting away from God and turning away from God, there's certain things that start to happen where you go nuts and you go, wait a second, think about it. What if, what if somebody, what if you 20 years ago were in a circle rather than just in a row? Because there's a lot of church people in rows that are tanking. But if you're in a circle, what if, what if there were some people in a circle that could encourage you and exhorted you biblically? How would life be different? What if your parents, remember when they were just starting to Think of those thoughts, sense, deceitfulness. Oh, we just need to get out of the marriage. What if they were in a circle then and somebody had spoken into their life? You see, we need one another. 
in a multiplicity of ways. And richness of community comes in a multiplicity of ways. But this one aspect I want to exhort us to here this morning as we close is that we need to be wise unto sin's deceitfulness. And we need people in our life to love us biblically and to encourage us biblically. Hold us accountable to be able to share life and do life with. Who do you have? And are you devoting efforts and energies as a disciple to be called? This isn't good grammar. We is the best defense against the deceitfulness of you. A we. And in that community, it's going to keep you protected from the deceitfulness that's in our own heart when we start to drift of just you. But we have to discipline our lives to move it that way. The drift begins within. So let someone in. That's my simple encouragement this morning as we close. There's one more verse after this. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Share in Christ means believers in Christ. Hold it firmly to the very end. You need this kind of community letting people into your life so that you can hold strong to the very end. Circles are better than rows. It's my simple plea. I am not up here to recruit you to get into a program. I'm excited for Rooted to start. There's an insert that's in your program if you want to know more about it. I talked to some different people today. Good, man, we're running. We're going to make it happen. Wednesday night, got a good group. But I think maybe there's some others. Rooted is sort of an on-ramp to knowing how to connect with God connect with his purpose and to connect with others do you need to fill out that as a simple step you see when you sit in rows it's sort of like i said non-threatening so i that's what you want them to know that's very good i appreciate that knowledge you know uh, the drift within you know you got to let someone in that's good i got i got that you know the we is going to keep you from the deceitfulness of you got 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 that but it's not just what you need to know this morning it's what you need to do when you need to take an action and so i want to encourage you to consider being a part of it. I'm ready to start flying a second group if we have enough people. Maybe on a different night. And maybe it's not a rooted experience you can't make, but maybe you just need to step into a weekly life group. This is our rooted book for those of you that will come on Wednesday. If you're going to get one of those, you're going to go on a journey. Your connection card is here. We've got new connections cards coming next week because it's not on this one, and then the new ones we're doing has it on there, but it needs to say life groups. Would you consider connecting in a life group? You're called to community. It's going to take some effort. Just write life group on the back. And throw this in the offering basket that's going to come. You can check it out. You can show up. If the circle is a little too threatening or the circle isn't your cup of tea, great. Come. We're going to be putting life groups together. The ultimate on-ramp to life group is rooted group. So I prefer you jump in there. But others of you are in life groups. My life group's kicking back up this week on Tuesday nights. There's life groups on Monday nights. Life groups on other nights. If you want to be in a life group, write life group on the back. You can sign up at the back too, but I know that you'll pass that desk by. Would you consider doing that? Because you are called not only by Jesus and to Jesus, 
you are called to obey beginning with the love one another's. You are called to community. Will you let someone in? Will you go on a journey? You will be richly blessed. Let's pray.